Are you pulling your hair out trying to figure out how to market your podcast and grow your audience? This episode, I talk with Jeremy Enns, podcasting marketer extraordinaire. My name is Carrie Green, and I am the client happiness guy at podcastfasttrack.com, and this is Podcastification. Podcastification is all about you, teaching you how to podcast, how to put into practice the best practices that I and my team have learned in working with hundreds of clients. You are going to podcast better from listening to this show. If you like what you hear on Podcastification, please just hit the pause button, swipe to the sharing function on your app, and share this episode with somebody you know will benefit. And if you'd like to get in on more Podcastification goodness, you can do it by subscribing to our Podcast Optimizer email series. And I promise you, you won't get lots of junk. You'll just get one actionable email a week. Go to podcastfasttrack.com slash optimizer. That is enough of that kind of stuff. Let's get you podcastificated right away. I know that I know that I know that marketing your podcast, promoting it, getting people interested in it, growing those download numbers is a real headache for you. That's because it is for every podcaster. That is the sticking point. And so I wanted to do a few episodes on this kind of subject matter. And today I'm talking with Jeremy Enns. He's a podcast producer, runs a podcast production company just like I do, but he specializes in the marketing piece. And he's got this podcaster marketing academy that he runs twice or three times a year. And he's just got all kinds of great insight into the issue of marketing. This conversation, you're going to hear some of his perspectives and who's influenced him in marketing, but also why he thinks most people are doing podcast marketing absolutely wrong and what you can do to change it. And what I think is most important in what he shares is he shares the observation of the deep dive he took into what his podcast clients were doing when he noticed that 50% of them were really succeeding and 50% of them weren't. What was the difference? He's going to share it all in this episode. Jeremy, how are you doing today, man? I am doing really well, Carrie. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm staying warm in this cold winter weather because I moved away from the cold winter weather. I'm in Tucson, Arizona, when the rest of the nation is freezing. Whereabouts are you? So I'm actually, uh, of all places, in Belgrade, Serbia. <laughs> My girlfriend and I, we have traveled full-time for the past five years or so. And when COVID hit, uh, we were in Scotland at the time, lasted out, ran out as long as we could get our, our visas for there. When those ended, we jumped to Portugal for as long as we could, and then Croatia. And now we've been going increasingly obscure into places that accept, well, she's American, I'm Canadian. And that's actually why we stayed on the road is because the border was shut between the two countries. So we would have to be separated if we went back to North America. So we've just been going anywhere that will take us <laughs> throughout the past year and have ended up in uh, <laughs> Serbia of all places. Wow. And how do you like Serbia? We've enjoyed it so far. The city we were in in Croatia before the split was a very like picturesque seaside old city, but it was also really small. And after three months there, we were getting pretty bored and everything was in severe lockdown there. Belgrade's a much bigger city. It's kind of, I, I think, what you'd expect from former Yugoslavia. It's like kind of crumbling. It's uh, gritty, but it's kind of cool in a like unpretentious kind of way where there it seems like there's a, a great like craft beer scene and coffee shops and stuff like that and people kind of like i don't know I, i've talked to a few people who who this is kind of 
typical of Balkan countries where they're kind of like, yeah, we're just going to do our own thing. And so a lot of the restrictions are kind of like, if they exist, they're not adhered to that much. Everything's open, dine in restaurants. So we're kind of like being extra cautious for ourselves. But I mean, it is nice to be somewhere where it feels like life is, is going on a little bit more normally than some of the places we've been in the past. Definitely. Well, here in Tucson, you know, masks are mandated everywhere, but the restaurants are open, you know, some are half capacity, that kind of thing. But it's thankfully at this point in time, the death rate in the United States anyway is going down and it's looking like we might be on the tail end of this thing. So I'm hopeful. Well, let's kind of tiptoe into a conversation here about podcasting. You game for that? That sounds fantastic. This could be an interesting and somewhat surprising conversation to people because you and I basically run companies that do pretty much the same thing in some respects. And so for me to have you on the show is kind of an oddity in a way because people might think of us as competition, but I don't see podcasting that way. I see podcasting as a big pizza that just keeps getting bigger. And that means all the slices keep getting bigger as well. And so you have a slice, I have a slice, you know, we have plenty of pizza to go around. So let's talk for a moment about your personal first podcast ever, the very first one you produced. What was it and what was it that made you think about getting into podcasting? As a creator myself, the first podcast that I ever produced was called Rain City Scoop. And this was a very local podcast to my my native Vancouver, Canada. Basically, it was an excuse for two friends and I to eat more ice cream than was probably recommended by a doctor. And so every week <laughs> we would go to a different local kind of like craft ice cream shop and we would like record ourselves with a uh, Zoom H4 as we're like standing in line and making our deliberations about the different flavorings. And we'd record the whole process and then we'd go back after having eaten ice cream to one of our apartments and do a more traditional round table with the microphones and everything set up and record a discussion on something ice cream related. And I like to say it was a R-rated ice cream show, which is uh, immediately, I think, perks ears up because you're like, wait, what R-rated? What, what does that mean? So there was a lot of innuendo, a lot of uh, coarse language, mostly from my one friend, Kevin. <laughs> and, uh, that was kind of his role as the, the comedic foil of the, the trio of us. My other co-host, Tiffany, and I were a little bit more reserved and kind of played off him and made him the, I don't know if I would say bad cop, but that was not a show where there was really any goals around it other than to like hang out as a group of friends and record the podcast and eat ice cream. It was a a one season run, but uh, I look back on that fondly. Given that first show and the fact that you had co-hosts and the fact that you were doing it on location and then in a quote unquote studio after, what are some of the lessons you learned? Maybe from the tech side, maybe from the co-host relationship side. I mean, I mean, just whatever you think was valuable. What did you get out of that? So I went to school for audio engineering. So uh, I was definitely bringing all that knowledge, but you're still pretty constrained a lot of times in editing when you are recording multiple people in the same location, especially in, you know, somebody's home that has not been soundproofed because there are always reverb tales and, and things that you just, if you want to mute someone, they're still showing up in the other mics. And so it's, you kind of have to get it right during the recording a lot more than if you're doing a remote recording where you can just mute someone when they cough or say something stupid or whatever it is that you're like, "Eh, okay, we don't need that in the, the finished episode. So that was something that I don't think I was quite anticipating there being that much kind of frustration in some of the the post-production with that recording, all three of us uh, on location. I think the bigger lesson, though, the one that really sticks with me was around the co-host relations, which you kind of mentioned there. And I think that all of us were interested in recording the show and not all of us were equally interested in 
doing any kind of promotion or follow-up work. And so, of course, as the sound engineer and the podcasting guy, I was already doing work for clients at the time. I was doing all the editing and mixing and all that kind of back-end production side of things, which at the start, I was excited to do it. And over the course of even just a 12-episode season, it became that last thing on my weekly to-do list that just got shunted from day to day to day. So over that time, I think that was one of the reasons as well that we didn't kind of keep going with it is it was... I don't want to say I began to resent it really, but it was kind of like, okay, if we're going to do this again, we have to figure out some way to split up some of these duties. And it was one of those things where I was such an expert in all things podcasting that I was the natural choice to just do everything, which, you know, I didn't want to do everything and it takes a lot of time. And so I think that there was some, some lessons there that if I was to go into another show with a co-host, there would be a pretty clear agreement of who's doing what and who's equipped to do what. And if it's really one-sided, either looking at training them before even starting or just saying like, okay, I don't know that we can actually contribute equally to this project. Yeah, there's some great advice there that I wouldn't have even thought of. So thanks for that. Now, given that experience, what was it about podcasting that you loved so much that you actually got into the business of doing work for clients? I mean, you were already doing it at that time. So how did that come about and why? Like I mentioned, I went to school for audio engineering and they don't teach you anything about podcasting in audio engineering school, probably because at the time when I went, that would have been 2011. Podcasting was still pretty small at that point, not really on the radar of of serious engineers and, and producers. So I wanted to work in the music industry and work in studios and produce records. And that was kind of my dream. And obviously, the the music industry is not a great place necessarily to make a career these days. So uh, I spent about a year working as an intern at a studio just a couple days a week and produce some some projects on my own, and then kind of found my way out of that and just started working other odd jobs. I took a year off, saved up and went traveling. And over that year traveling, I, I kind of discovered that, oh, I want to do more of, of this traveling. Like, okay, I've, I've done a year of it. I had to save up for two years in order to take that year off. But what if I could do this full time, kind of make a living on the road somehow? And so I didn't really have any idea of what that looked like at the time. I hadn't come across the, the terms digital nomads or location independence or remote work or any of that kind of stuff. But once I got back from that trip, I uh, just got a job doing landscaping and uh, was able to listen to my phone at work. And so after a couple of days listening to music and audiobooks and things like that, I uh, just had this thought in my mind. I was like, okay, I've, I've had this, this, uh, been hearing about podcasting before. I, I wonder what's out there. And so I went home from work and I looked up, I think it was still iTunes at the time. It wasn't Apple Podcasts yet. And just, put in a search like creative business or something like that. I didn't even know what I was looking for. And of course, up come dozens of shows, Smart Passive Income, of course, from Pat Flynn was on the list. There's a whole bunch of other ones. And I realized there are people out there creating content specifically for people like me who want to make, you know, start their own business that's online based that you might be able to travel. And so I kind of at that point, this was 2015, I think. And I just dove into podcasting as a listener first. And I was listening to 40 plus hours a week all day at at work every day on one and a half or two times speed. And I was working on on building a different business uh, around photography at the time. And about six months into that, I realized, wait, like I'm obsessive about podcasts and I have all these skills like podcast production is easy if you have been to school to learn how to run a studio. And so I thought, oh, maybe this is actually a faster way to create my own business and I can just come back to photography later and I'll just do this in the short term as a way to be able to go travel to make a little bit of money. 
So I started that up. And as so often happens, photography got, just got pushed right out the window. Uh, I still enjoy it as a, a hobby, but really fell in love with both like editing podcasts and producing podcasts and really the podcast industry as a whole. So that's been five years now. And this is actually really interesting because right before the call, I was looking for the link that you had sent me to get on the call here. And through our past email correspondence, I found one from I think it was 2016, where I had actually reached out to you to look if you were adding any editors to your team at the time. Uh, that's how I got my start editing for some other production companies before I had enough clients of my own. And uh, you didn't have any options at that time. But we did have a little bit of back and forth. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. We have this connection. I had entirely forgotten about this. But uh, it looks like we actually connected almost five years ago at this point now. Yeah, well, I didn't realize that either. I appreciate you bringing that up because, yeah, I get emails like that all the time and I try to be civil and kind and talk about the industry a bit. And that's really neat that we have that connection even further back than either of us knew. So you're running a business now that serves podcasters. And we both know that understanding the audio engineering and the editing part of things is one thing. It's kind of like being the technician in the business. But your business focuses also on strategy and marketing, which is really what we're going to talk about more in a moment. But I'm curious, how did you make that transition from being the technician to being one that's more interested in strategy and marketing as well? That was a bit of a tough transition because I had so much of my identity tied up in the technical side of things. And what's even more interesting about that is that that identity as a sound engineer actually kept me from moving into podcast editing in the first place because I knew there were podcast editors probably three months before I actually ever seriously considered it. But for some reason, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, that's just uh, would be a sellout to do that. Like, none of what are the, the people I went to school with going to say if I'm just editing podcasts? And the hilarious thing is that most of them aren't able to find paid work as sound engineers. Like it's an incredibly difficult job to find if you're doing it on your own. And I mean, I know people who 10 years later are still working part time jobs while also working on their recording projects and things like that. So that irony has become uh, apparent to me later. But at the time, I was like, oh, that's not what a serious sound engineer would do. That's it's just so beneath me. And so I was very much tied up in this like technical identity around being a sound engineer. Kind of some audio snobbery going <laughs> oh, yeah. on there. Oh uh, yeah. There's community around that in the the audio engineering space, but it can also be kind of toxic. I, I mean, even to yourself and and as in my situation, it kind of held me back there. And so that I think was a long slow transition away from that. And I think probably it, it I was able to make that as I grew my team and was doing less and less work myself on the audio editing for our clients. And I was still always doing some, but you know, at this point I have a team of five sound engineers on the team. And uh, at this point I'm doing almost no uh, actual audio work for our clients. But over the past two years, I was still doing a bunch and realizing that they were even bigger audio nerds than I was. I was kind of like, okay, well they're the, the true experts here and they can like nerd out about this stuff for days on end. And I can't keep up with them. I've been out of that world for too long at this point. And so I think that kind of eased the transition. But the big thing was that, you know, we work with typically around like 15 to 20 clients, not a ton. Um, we're a little bit higher priced service than we try and keep that. Uh, that's kind of my goal around our business is not working with. I, I mean, when I first started out, I wanted to work with as many as possible clients. And now I've kind of realized just from a management standpoint, I would rather have a, a smaller number of higher ticket clients. And so we don't work with that many clients, but we've got, you know, 20, a pretty good sample size. And I would see that like there's almost split 50, 50, like 10 of them are doing really well with their podcast. They grow consistently. They get great business results out of their podcasts. And the other 10, 
were kind of struggling. Like it was always, you know, maybe they were growing a little bit. Maybe they just kind of maintained the same number of downloads from month to month. And kind of from the outside, you couldn't really see what either of these two groups was doing differently. And so back at the end of 2019, I started getting curious and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to survey all of our clients and just do a deep dive with them, jump on calls with all of them and see what I can find out. Like, why are these shows doing really well? And why are these other shows not doing so well? And, you know, what can I learn that that then I can apply and help the the ones who aren't doing so well, improve their shows and, and get better business results. What I realized was that from the outside, it didn't look like there were major differences. On the inside, there actually were a lot of things that the shows that were growing were doing differently. And uh, the ones who were struggling were not doing these things or were doing different things, just approaching their podcast from a completely different angle. So from there, I kind of started realizing, okay, well, all these shows sound great, but this is clearly a marketing problem. It's the way that the show is being used within the broader business. And so from there, I was kind of like, okay, well, we already offer great quality production and editing and with all of our clients you know we give them instruction on how to record and all this stuff and so if that's not doing it but these things clearly are like that's the more valuable thing i can offer and so instead of tying our business all back to we can produce a high quality great sounding podcast we're actually kind of letting people down a little bit and or maybe not a little bit maybe a lot in terms of uh, doing almost not an intentional but something of a bait and switch where it's like yeah we can produce a great sounding podcast for you but if I know that that's not going to get them results alone, then I feel like as a responsible business owner and, and guide and uh, ally and helping them get the results they're hoping for, like I kind of have a duty to actually tell them like, okay, we can do this for you. That's not going to be enough. Like here are some other things that going into this, you should be aware of this and you should build your strategy around these ideas. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And given that my audience is podcasters primarily, who are looking to grow their show, let's dig into some of those differences that you saw. What were the clients whose shows were growing doing that the clients whose shows weren't growing weren't doing? I think doing? the biggest thing that I noticed was that the people who were really struggling to grow their shows, they were producing their podcast as their form of exposure. Like this was the content that was meant to grow the audience. Whereas people on the other side who were actually growing their shows really effectively, the podcast was where they built trust with their audience, but they didn't rely on it in order to actually get exposure to new people. And I know that podcasters love to complain about the discoverability and the challenges around that, which it could be easier for people to discover new podcasts. And that is something that many companies are working on. But then you also think about like, well, what about authors or bloggers or any other content producers there is no discoverability built into those. Like that is the onus of the creator to go out and hustle and beat down people's doors and say, hey, here's the thing I made. Like, are you interested in this? And I think that that's the thing that podcasters need to uh, really embrace is that like at the end of the day, it's up to us to get it in front of people. And we all are playing with the same limitations. And so understanding that the podcast is not necessarily going to get exposure to new people on its own. Maybe if you get lucky, you might get a few boosts here and there, but that the podcast is where you build trust with people, not where you get a new exposure to them. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying it was a marketing problem, not just a quality problem and not a content problem. It was a marketing problem. So let's dig in. What were some of the things you saw them doing from a marketing perspective? But before we go there, let's just talk about marketing in general. In your mind, in your understanding, what is marketing? To me, it's really simple and it's really unfortunate, the kind of connotation that a lot of people have when they think of the word marketing. Uh, I heard a stat recently that only, I think it's less than 10% of consumers 
actually think that marketers and advertisers have their interests at heart. They think that 90% of people think that marketers are trying to scam them, basically. And so this is a really kind of sad thing for someone like me who identifies as a marketer. But uh, to me, marketing is all around making connection with people. And that's it, making connection and building trust. So when you think about it that way, like there is nothing sleazy at all about that. And Unfortunately, a lot of sleazy activity gets lumped into the uh, under the umbrella of marketing, but really like real effective marketing that works in the long term is about creating an audience of people who, you know, actually cares about you and understands that you care about them. And it's kind of that two way street of trust. So I think that having that in mind, marketing starts to feel a lot more doable for a lot of us like creators and artists. Yeah, I love that. Making connections and establishing trust. I agree with you. I think marketing is nothing more than connecting with people who you know, need or want what you have to offer and building trust with them so that they begin to realize that your offer is genuine and legitimate and can truly help them. So let's dig into the details of what these podcasters were doing who were successful. Let's call it the 50% that you saw being successful with their shows. What were the marketing steps they were taking to gain exposure and to build that trust. Before we get into some of the specific tactics, the th- one thing I'll say that everybody, you have heard this before probably many, many times, and you probably need to hear it again, and I need to hear it again on a probably monthly basis, is you just have to be clear on who you are trying to market to. I had a consulting call earlier today with a guy who has an amazing sounding show, amazing concept around the show. And when I asked him, okay, who are you trying to speak to here? He gave me an age range of about 40 years And a set of problems that he wanted his show to address that was just entirely vague. Like it was, it was so clear that this was just such a broad swath of people that when you're aiming that broadly, it's hard to actually know where to find those people and how to get in front of them. And so I think that really getting clear on that ideal listener avatar, but I like to think about it as who your actual super fans are. Like who are the people who are actually going to tell their friends about your show? do a list of your own favorite shows and think about how you came across them. I know I've done this every so often. I'll I'll do this exercise and probably like seven out of 10 are somebody told me about them. And this is still the way that podcasting spreads is by word of mouth. And so if that is true, then figure out, okay, how can I make my show good enough for people to talk about and make them actually want to share it with their friends? And also who are those people who are going to love it so much that they do share it with their friends? And so thinking about who those super fans are, the people who like message you after every single episode and say like, oh, that was another great episode. I can't wait till next week's. Like think about that person and get really, really, really clear on who they are. And without that, it's going to be hard to do any other kind of marketing. Once you have that, marketing becomes really, really easy because you have such a clear idea of who they are and where to find them. And so once you have that, the biggest thing that I would say to do is start guesting on other podcasts. There are certainly other people out there who they might not talk about the exact same topic as you, but they have content that they're creating and an audience that isn't maybe, you know, 100% overlap with yours, but maybe it's like a 30 to 50% overlap with yours. And and 50% of the people listening to their show are going to be interested in yours. And you can bring something new to the table that hasn't been talked about on their show so much. This is one of the things that I saw all of my clients who were doing a really great job of getting more exposure and continually bringing in new people into their show. We're doing a lot of guesting on other shows and collaborations in other ways. They were doing Instagram takeovers and, you know, promo swaps within their newsletters and whatever that might be. Um, 
doing promo swaps on the podcast as well, where maybe you have another show that is very complimentary to yours and yours is complimentary to theirs. And you each run like a 30 second ad for two, three, four weeks where you say, hey, you know, if you love my show, my friend such and such runs this show that I know you're going to love. Go check it out. Tell them I sent you and uh, let me know what you think about that. I've seen some clients who literally doubled their audience after doing a few really well-placed cross promotions like that. There are a lot more tactics that we could get into, but I think that those are the two things that I would say are the highest leverage for podcasters looking to grow is look for people who are doing complimentary things to you, who you can you know provide some value and some service to, and that they can do the same for you and team up and join forces. There's always like this group that comes up together and they all support each other and they all share each other's stuff because it's all not quite the same as each other. And uh, I think it's it's about finding those people and doing the outreach yourself. Be the one to initiate that and start that group. And other people are going to be grateful that you actually did. I have a, a friend, actually a guy who was in one of my podcast consulting mastermind sort of groups, and he has done not promo swaps, but episode swaps where each of them will provide each other a full episode. They will record an intro and outro for their audience, introducing the episode and they'll publish them on the same day as bonus content and just introduce the other person's show. And his numbers have grown dramatically from doing this. And he finds, as you said, shows with a complimentary sort of audience, a complimentary sort of, of topic or, or niche And it's amazing what that does. Thank you for sharing that. One of the most effective ways that I've seen podcasters grow their shows most recently is through getting involved in a podcast mastermind. I actually put together one of these that had five different members and they were of all different stripes, shows of different genres, male and female, Some were business, some were hobby, some were just kind of storytelling podcasts, and they all came to the table eager to give and eager to learn. And I'm telling you, we all grew so much. If you're interested in talking to me about my next set of podcast masterminds, reach out to me, Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y at podcastfasttrack.com. Let me ask you a little deeper question about your approach to marketing, because you refer to something that you call generative marketing. Let's start out with the definition, and then we'll dig into the definition to understand better what you're saying. Yeah, so this is something that's been kind of kicking around the back of my mind over the past year. I started a daily writing habit at the start of 2020, and uh, that's it's been various lengths, but I, I try and commit to every weekday posting at least one blog post. And there was a, a period last year where I went much deeper on the kind of SEO style blog posts and, and wasn't posting every day. But uh, one of the things that came out of this was writing a lot about marketing. It was something I was thinking a lot about and reading a lot about and consuming content about. And it just became clear that there are these kind of diverging paths where there's this kind of one kind of marketing that just feels scammy and slimy. And I've taken courses from people who, I mean, now I I, am able to recognize it, but it's just like, oh, okay, what you're teaching here, I just don't feel good about doing that. Like, is this the only way? And then I started seeing a smaller number of people, but who I was really gravitating towards that I was like, oh, this is different this gets me really excited and feeling positive and uplifted. And it doesn't like kind of poke holes in me and show me where I'm lacking and push those buttons that kind of make you feel bad about yourself in order to buy. And it's more about showing you the possibility of what could be. 
both kinds of marketing do that. Um, it, that is one of the things. But I, I noticed that this kind of positive marketing was for me, that was the stuff that always got me to buy. I was like, oh, this makes me feel good about myself before I've even bought. And I know I'm going to like feel good after too. And you just look at some of these people and their whole brand is built around that kind of uplifting positive messaging. And so I started thinking a lot more about this and distilling, you know, what some of these things were that made me feel good while I was consuming this kind of marketing. And the two things that I think stood out most to me were that it was really about empathy and generosity in the marketing. When it comes to the generosity kind of side of things. I think most of us as content creators are already doing that. Like our podcasts are marketing. We also need to market our podcasts, but our podcasts are a form of marketing. And I think it's worth approaching them and the rest of our marketing with this sense of generosity that like we are actually trying to get people results and that if we can get people results in the small ways, when we make a larger offer, they're going to believe that we're going to follow through on that uh, in the big ways as well. And then when it comes to the empathy side of things, that's really just about understanding who the people are that we are engaging with and interacting with and getting to know them and their personal situations, what they're struggling with. And so that we can actually create products and services and podcast episodes and all the stuff that actually addresses it. Because so often we think we know what's best for the people who are listening to our shows. And we don't because we haven't talked to them. We don't really know enough about them. And a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, but I, I try to get engagement and nobody, uh, I'm not able to, nobody responds to my calls to action. I get no interaction on social media. And that is a hard part of podcasting. But I think that if you are dedicated, you will actually go out and find those people yourself, hang out in Facebook groups around your topic in Reddit forums, Slack communities, whatever it is, and go tap people, ping them and say like, hey, I'm starting this podcast about this thing. And I kind of would just love some feedback. Is this any good? Like, you know, what would you want out of an ideal podcast on this topic? Like, what could I create that would make this your new favorite show? And if you take the lead and reach out yourself, you'll be able to get a lot of that information without having to wait on people uh, bringing it to you. Yeah, I love the point you made there about having to go out and find the people yourself because you made an excellent point. If you don't have an audience that's engaged already, surveys and questionnaires are not really going to get you much traction. And don't hear me wrong, they're great tools if you have engagement already. But if you don't, you got to do the hustle to go find those people. I love that. Now, Jeremy, what I'd love to hear from you is an example. Let me give you a scenario and you can kind of flesh this out for Mm -hmm. me. Since we're talking to podcasters who are undoubtedly wanting to grow their listening audience, their subscribers, let's say that they're marketing their podcast and they want to market the podcast in a way that is generative. So it is empathetic and it's generous. What are some things they could do that are very actionable That would hit both of those check boxes, so to speak. It would be empathetic and it would be generous in the way they market their podcast. The first thing is getting clear on who those people are and what they're they're struggling with, how you can serve them. And you know, when we talk about pain points and struggling, that's often I know that I'll talk to people sometimes who they have a comedy show or something like that. And so that doesn't really apply. It's not like people have this pain point that they the podcast is solving. But at the same time, people listen to and consume anything because they want some result that they're not currently getting. So maybe they just want to be uplifted during their day. Maybe they have a really hard commute and they just want to laugh at the end of the day and you have a comedy podcast. I think that's worth knowing what role you play in their lives. And so that's where kind of the empathy comes in and finding out how do you actually fit into their life or how could you fit into their life in an ideal way? And so that's where the empathy factor comes in of of really getting to know who these people are and how you can best fit into their lives. And then when it comes to the generous side of things with the marketing, I think that this is uh, unfortunate and we all do it. When Whenever we, we start out marketing, I think the first thing that 
any of us do is we post on on social media about our podcast. Hey, we got a new podcast episode out. We talked to this person about this. And the problem with this is it's all very me centric. It's talking about I have a new episode and I talk with this person and come listen to my show. And I think we need to switch that around. And this is a bit of a mental reset and involves, you know, developing your writing ability and copywriting ability as well, understanding how to write hooks, but also understanding like what's in it for them. So often when it comes to our social media, almost every single post we have is an ask. We're always asking people to do this or do that or listen to my episode or follow me here or like this or, or whatever it is or sign up for my email list. And really generous marketing is more about offering free value to people and proving that you are someone that you can trust over time. And so it's not keeping everything safeguarded behind an email list or in the podcast. It's doing the hard work for them of helping them get answers. And so maybe you have this gold nugget of information that's on the podcast that you really want people to listen to the whole podcast, but maybe you give that up as a 30 second video clip or a minute video clip that you can help people in one minute on just while they're scrolling through their Instagram feed. And I like to think about that, that over time, like, if they associate you with being able to meaningfully help them in one minute on Instagram, just imagine what would come out of listening to a whole 30 or 45 minute podcast. Like it must be gold. And maybe you are just giving those best clips out there and maybe the rest of the podcast doesn't quite live up to that. But I think it's thinking about, you know, how can you best help your audience wherever they're interacting with you, not just on the podcast. A lot of times there's this strong identity associated with being a podcaster. And I think we need to remember that that's not really our role. Like if we want to really create the best podcast and build the best communities and businesses possible, like we are in the business of serving people wherever they interact with us. And so however we can do that is being really like generous and free with our knowledge and time and insight. I think that's really where this generative marketing comes into play and not kind of gating everything off and trying to funnel people where we want them to go. It's much more about meeting them where they're at and, and seeing how we can help them there. Great advice. Now you referred to or kind of inferred repurposing content for the purpose of serving those people better in that generous way. You mentioned a video clip that you might share on Instagram or uh, I'm assuming audiograms that fall into that as well. Talk to me for a little bit about the packaging of that kind of thing so that it's obvious that it's generous rather than an ask. It might just be sharing that content without even a link back to your podcast. I think that that is something that is so hard for any of us to do. We can't imagine like posting something that doesn't have a link back to some other action we want them to take. Like a lot of the people that I follow, I can grow so much just by following their Twitter feed and never taking their course, never listening to their podcast. And I get so much value out of just following their, their tweets that have no links anywhere in them. And so I think if you can create that kind of ecosystem where you are able to like take people where they are trying to get to without investing more than they are willing to invest, whether that's time or money, whatever that is, like that feels really generous to me in, in being so generous. Yeah, but, but with your time and knowledge and, and not constantly making asks and trying to nickel and dime people everywhere they are. And so I think that a lot of times thinking about understanding who those people are, but also understanding what platform they're on and what mindset they're in while going through that. Like what do people expect out of Instagram? What kind of content do they want? They're not in the mode for listening to a podcast while they're scrolling through Instagram. They're, you know, in the mindset of scrolling through Instagram and, you know, double tapping photos that they like, and uh, they're not leaving the platform there. They're in scrolling mode. So think about like, okay, what kind of content can I create? That's going to be helpful for them. What kind of mindset might they be in while they're scrolling through this? Instagram makes a lot of people feel bad about themselves. Maybe you can offer something that's refreshing that makes them feel good about themselves that they don't see in the rest of their feed. There's a lot of value to that. That isn't just information sharing. Now, I noticed on your website when you said generative marketing is based on empathy and generosity. 
and is done in a way that makes the audience have enthusiasm about what it is you're talking about rather than, I would assume, rather than the traditional marketing where people can feel resistance yeah. because they don't want to be sold. Yeah. So talk to me about the audience enthusiasm piece. And actually, what I would love to hear is an example or a story you remember of marketing done right in this generative way that caused some audience member to respond with enthusiasm to the marketing. Offer. So I'll share a story about myself because I have a, a great one about this being done to me. And I've started noticing them all the time now. And it's almost like from the first time I'll come across someone new, I can tell like, oh, I like this person's vibe. I know if I follow them, I'm going to spend so much money with them. Whatever their course is, I'll sign up. Their membership, I'll sign up. Like I'm already on their email list with three different emails. The first person that that was really apparent with was Seth Godin. And so I'm a, a huge fan of his. Uh, I read his daily blog and have been through a number of courses of his, but I first came across him years ago. You know, he's been on a lot of podcasts. He's written probably more than 20 books and kind of known as a marketing genius. So I'd heard about him, always liked his stuff. I think I first heard about him on Tim Ferriss podcast, but I'd never really followed his stuff in depth. But for some reason, he kind of always bounced around the back of my mind. And so at some point I started listening to his podcast, Akimbo. This was probably two years ago when it first launched, something like that. And I picked it up and I listened to, you know, three or four or five episodes and was like, oh, this is this is amazing. This is one of the, the best shows I've listened to. And it, it fell off my radar again for some reason. And then a year later, I picked it up and now he's got, you know, 50 episodes or actually at that point, it was probably closer to 100. And this time it really clicked. And all of a sudden I was binging through, you know, three to five episodes a day. And of course, this is a form of marketing for him. His podcast is marketing. He has a whole bunch of courses, books, all this stuff. And so I was binging through, you know, three to five episodes a day. Within a month, I'd caught up, listened through the whole back catalog and started over again at the start, listening through the first episodes that I had only just listened to a month before. I was like this much in love with the podcast. And in most of the episodes, he's not making any asks. There's no email list sign up. There's no freebie. There is nothing that is pulling me back to his other content, gated content, anywhere like that. It is just pure giving information that is having a meaningful impact on me. I was feeling inspired. I was feeling motivated. So all of this, I was like, okay, well, th this is just amazing. Like I need more. I've already listened through all the episodes. I started listening again, like, okay, what else can I get? And so then I started buying his books and listening through on audible. And I think I listened through, you know, five or six or seven books in over the course of like one more month or two more months. He doesn't even mention his email newsletter at all on any of his stuff, not in the podcast, not in his books, but I had gone to find it because I was like, okay, I need to be aware of everything that he's doing here. His marketing has been so good and his podcast has been so good that I'm going out of my way to sign up for his email list. After that, then I hear that he's got a course coming out. And so I sign up for that one. And then I put another two courses that are coming out later in the year on my calendar. And again, I put them on two calendars so I don't miss it. And so this is kind of the effect of, I think, being really generous and free with the content you deliver and and showing that like okay like i don't care if you don't ever buy anything from me or don't come on my email list i'm happy to give this away and for the people who it's a fit for those are the people that i want more of uh in my life as well if you're interested in who i've been inspired by look at him first and i've noticed now that most of the other people who do inspire me also have all these lines back to Seth Godin as well. I'm a big fan of his already, but that he's influenced those people who are now influencing me. I'm just super grateful to him and all that he's done for the word marketing even and uh, and really the world. I think Seth is a premier example of what you're describing. I listen to Akimbo as well, and I've uh, been very impressed with Seth's generosity and his willingness to give, 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 give. And he just trusts that those who resonate with what he's saying will do exactly what you did and seek out more resources from him. And it works big time. 
Now, one thing I do want to point out about Seth's example, just because we live in a culture where the easy button is a desire so many people have, Seth's content is excellent content. He makes himself an expert in what he shares and what he gives away. He doesn't just record something five minutes before and throw it out there thinking, hey, I did my content for the week. No, he he works at it. He studies, he thinks, he reads, he researches, and he puts out great content. So with that big caveat to everything that Seth is doing, I want my listeners to go away realizing this is hard work. Wouldn't you agree? That's this other thing that we get so caught up in I'm not sure about other content creation platforms as much, but I feel like with podcasting, there's a vocal contingent that's probably fairly small, that there's this sense of entitlement almost. If you were to pick up a new instrument, how long would that take for you to get good enough for people to come watch you play? It would take a long time. It would take many years of practice. Podcasting is that new instrument. Most of us don't you know, have a background in audio. We don't quite know how that all works. And in terms of like structuring, whether that's narrative style podcast or fictional podcast or anything like that, but even within an interview of how to create a interview that has tension, that pulls people through it, knowing how to edit after the fact, like these are all skills that people dedicate their lives to. If you look at any, you know, NPR, any of their shows or the New York times or any, any of these like serialized shows, I think there is this whole learning process that we all need to go through when we're approaching any new medium. And luckily for us, podcasting is a fairly new platform, which means that nobody has that far of a head start on us, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's probably not going to happen within one year or even two years, but I kind of have the sense that podcasting really is built on this idea of compounding returns where the longer you do it, the more it's going to give you, but it's going to take a while. And so that first year, that first two years, you know, it might just feel like you're pushing this boulder up the hill, but all of a sudden, like something will click. And all of a sudden you're, you're doing nothing differently, but you're getting more downloads and it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And uh, we have one client who's currently in this phase right now. We're not doing anything differently. And all of a sudden she's doubling her download counts every month. And she's been at it for, I mean, nine months at this point, but I've seen that take a lot longer for a lot of people and sometimes two, three years. But yeah, absolutely. If you keep at it and keep experimenting and trying different things, that's the way to eventually find that groove that's, that's going to get you there. I absolutely agree with you. We've seen that with clients as well where nothing really changes in their approach, but something changes in the response. It's very intangible and hard to explain, but I think it's when you resonate with the right people and those people begin sharing and boom, it just snowballs. Well, Jeremy, you've been very generous yourself with the content that you've shared today. So I want to reciprocate and just to ask you, what is it that you would like my audience of podcasters who are seeking to improve what they do and how they do it. What is it you would like to offer them as far as some sort of course or offer or newsletter or whatever you have? Let's let's give it to them. Yeah, I've got all of the above. Pretty much my favorite thing I do in my business is my weekly newsletter, which I know uh, for a lot of people, and it was for me for a long time, was something to dread that you're like, oh, I got to write another newsletter. But over the past year, that's been something that I have really come to enjoy sharing my own insights and thoughts around marketing and around uh, building a a living as a creator and a lot of marketing kind of stuff in there uh, as well and podcasting. So that goes out every Sunday and we'll have all the links to this at counterweightcreative.co slash podcastification. I've just put all my contact information and stuff there for anyone who wants to get in touch with me. You can find the newsletter there. I also have a podcast marketing course. It's called Podcast Marketing Academy. No clever wordplay there or anything like that. Pretty straightforward. And that goes live twice a year. We're going into our third one is going to be opening up at the end of March, 2021. 
So if you're interested in kind of exploring more of what's working when it comes to actually growing a podcast, once you've already launched the most of the people who go through the program have been going, you know, one to two years already and are frustrated that they're not seeing more growth. So it's more experienced podcasters, I would say it would be completely overwhelming if you're just starting. So <laughs> probably better wait till, till you're like got your feet under you. Um, but if that's interesting to you, you can also find the, the information about that again at counterweightcreative.co slash podcastification. All right, Jeremy, thanks so much, man. I want to make that available to my audience big times because the marketing piece is one of the most difficult and it is one of the most often done wrong pieces of, of podcasting. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. looks like we've been going a better part of an hour here. Uh, I just love getting to know you better and to make the reconnection after five or so years. Wish you well, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Carrie. This has been a lot of fun and I'm hoping we can cross paths again, hopefully in person, maybe at the next podcast movement or, or PodFest or something like that and catch up there. But this has been fantastic and uh, and I'm grateful that I've been able to speak to your audience and get to know you better as well. Thanks so much. Hello. I think that everyone listening to this episode would do well to follow Jeremy everywhere that you can. I also think that if you have the inclination to get into his podcast marketing academy, man, what are you waiting for? This is right around the end of March when this episode is publishing. So his newest cohort for that academy may have already begun, but you can get on the waiting list and he has assured me he will make a place for you in the next one. You can go to his link in the description for this episode and find out all the details about the next session of the podcast marketing academy. Well, that's all the time we got for today. It's time for you to go out and make it a podcastificating day. This show is brought to you by Podcast Fast Track, where my team provides professional podcasting services without the time suck. Full production, editing, and show notes all in one monthly subscription package. You can find out more at podcastfasttrack.com. Now go out and make it a podcastificating day. Bye.